If you would, please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 14. As we work our way through this book, chapter 14, we're well into this book now. We're, we're beginning to understand where we're going, this vision that John is having and the direction that he is moving and one right after the other, these visions that uh, God has given him and he's recorded for us. And it's uh, extraordinary things. And as we uh, mentioned at the very beginning, chapter 1, this is a blessing. This book is a blessing to us. And when we read this passage, we, we look and we think, well, where's the blessing in this? But, but we are glad to know what's going to happen, even how gruesome it is. Let me begin reading in verse 14, Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on The cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap for the hour of the hour to reap has come because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud, sunk his sickle over the earth, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has the power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called out with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. And the wine press was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the wine press up to the bridle of the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we, we just thank you for the privilege of gathering together. It is a wonderful time, a wonderful thing to sing praises to you. Um, but Lord, our hearts are drawn to this word Our hearts crave this word. This is our life. This is, we can live without bread, but we cannot live without this word, Christ says. And Lord, we we just long for it and we just thank you for, for its meaning to us, for what it is to us, its sustenance to our body, its spiritual life to us. And Lord, may we give it the honor. And the respect that is due. May we we have understanding and clarity today. And then sober minds to be able to carry it out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is a gruesome picture. We've already seen it. Uh, It doesn't take much to realize what's going on here. It's gruesome. But pictures are, are powerful things. This is a gruesome picture and it's a powerful thing. We're shocked and we're sobered. Sometimes it's a, a good reminder for us when we see shocking pictures of aborted babies, the way they have been brutalized and taken out of the womb, and we see that and we're shocked. 
It's a shock to our system, and rightfully so. It's a brutal thing. It's a terrible thing. It's hard for us to see and, and to look at the, the bodies piled up uh, when we look at the Holocaust pictures. But they're powerful things. We need to look at them from time to time and remember, this is what man can do. This is the power of, really, of sinful people, sinful mind. I have a friend on Facebook. Somehow he's connected to the seminary, the college, the master's seminary. He is in some country that I don't even know, and it's all of his posts are in a language that I don't know. And from time to time it catches my attention, but... He will post gruesome pictures. He will go into villages, and sometimes you see whole villages just, just uh, brutally murdered, body after body, and you just wonder what, where is this? And it's it's very hush hush, and it's, but sometimes the pictures get out, and I think he's trying to leak these pictures so that we, you know, as Dave is talking about, could be this, the the. A persecuted church. We know that it's out there. We seldom see pictures of it. But it's a sobering thing. It's a shocking thing. Pictures are good. They're good reminders for us. And when you look at this, John is giving us a picture. It's a picture. This is a full, uh, this is a picture of the full wrath of God. And we need to see it. No matter how gruesome it is, no matter how hard it is to look at, Needs, we need to see it. It needs to cause us to be shocked. It needs to cause us to fear this God that we, we worship and bring some soberness to what we do. We need to see this. This is judgment. And it's judgment in an apt time. And it's judgment under control. It's calculated. But it is judgment. And it is wrathful. But we know that. I mean, we know We anticipate Christ coming at some point. We know that Christ is going to come and He will reap this earth. He will clean this earth up and bring it to judgment. And John gives us a glimpse of that in Revelation 14 here. And he does that with the theme of of a harvest. It's a little bit easier to take. It's it's not as as gruesome when we think about it in in the context of a harvest, a garden. And that's what John is doing here. Uh, in what's happening is a, a reaping of unrepentant sinners in the day of judgment, a reaping this mass slaughter to bring them to judgment. And we see actually two different harvests going on here. The first harvest is a grain harvest. It's a grain would be cut down And this would be seen, the details would be seen in chapter 16 when those bold judgments are are just being poured out one after the other. And and God in His righteousness and holiness is destroying the Antichrist empire. The second one is a grape harvest. It's a grape harvest. And and this is probably referring to the battle of Armageddon. This is just another scene of that. Just the harvest of the grapes. Destruction of all those enemies of God that come up against Him. And He just slices them off and crushes them. We see God is exercising His right to call men into account for their actions. That's all this is. That God has reserved the right. He has created us and it is time for us to face Him and He can swing His sickle anytime He wants and calls us into account. Now, someday every person will stand before God and we know that Christ is going to return and purge 
And the question that's answered for us in this passage is, how does Christ purge? How, how does He do this? And we see this picture of Christ purging the earth, cleaning the earth before He establishes His throne. So we have a, a grain harvest and a grape harvest. And John points out three things in, in each of these. He points out the, the reaper, who's doing the reaping. He points out the ripeness of the, the harvest. And he points out the reaping itself. So let's look right at it. The, the grain harvest here in verse 14. Then I looked and behold. Now this is when John is doing a transition. This is what he does. This is just a common phrase now that we begin to see a pattern of in, uh, in Revelation. And we looked and behold. So this other vision, this thing catches John's eye and it's this white cloud that's majestic and glory and one and sitting on the white cloud, sitting on the cloud, was one like a son of man. That's probably Christ, like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. This is probably a reference to Christ. Even in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, Daniel gives us a picture of the son of man or a son of man. He calls it the same uh, terminology here, a son of man. And he's coming in the clouds. In the New Testament, it's interesting to, interesting fact that this is the most common phrase that Christ used about Himself. He is the Son of Man. And if you look back in Revelation chapter 1, we see that He is called the Son of Man. Verse 13, and in the middle of the lampstand. Remember, He is in that lampstand. He is in the middle of the lampstand. I saw one like a Son of Man in His robe. And it just goes on and describes Christ. That's Christ. There's no doubt about that. I think we can see that. It's just Christ, and He has a golden crown on His head. Now, this is not a crown that a king would wear, not a diadem like we've seen in the past. This is a crown given to them as a victor. This is a victor's crown. It is gold. He's obviously victorious here. And He has a sickle in His hand. There's two kinds of sickles. You probably, uh, you are, I'm sure, aware of a sickle. There's a short sickle that you could just take with one hand and use. And then there's some long ones. But it has a, it has a, a curved uh, end so that uh, so you can grab the wheat. And it, it is a razor-sharp uh, iron edge. And it's designed to cut. It's designed to cut. And some are long and some are short, but you get the picture. You understand what they're used for. It's a sickle. When, when Christ came in, yeah, we might call it a, a scythe or a scythe. But when Christ came in His first visit to earth, when He came to earth first, He came in humility, didn't He? He came with brokenness. He came with almost like defeat. We, would, The world would certainly see it as defeat. Dying upon the cross, He come in servitude. But when He comes again the second time, when He comes again, it will not be in defeat. It will not be in servitude. It will be in the conquering King. He will come as a judge. Remember, He has the title deed of the earth. He took that and He has every right then to cleanse the earth, to purge the earth. And the earth is waiting for it to be ripe. He is waiting for a word from His Father. I have to remind you and I have to remind us all that remember... He depends on the Father for that information. Only the Father knows when He is to return. He is waiting for God for this word, when to return, when to come back. And 
And it's, we're waiting. It's, he's waiting for the harvest to get ripe. God determines when he comes back. God determines when this harvest is, is ready to be cleansed or cut down. And Christ is the reaper. He is the reaper. And he is waiting. He has the sickle in hand. And he is waiting. He is sitting. And he is waiting a word from the Father. I think you get the picture. Now we've all waited, haven't we? We've put seeds in the ground. And we've waited for that harvest to, to come up. I have a few patches in my grass that I have to patch. And I put some, you know, just some grass seed yesterday. And I get up this morning, what do I do? I water it last night. I get up this morning, what do I do? I go back out and I look. Is it starting to grow already? We're waiting. Now I know it's not going to grow. You don't have to... Now I haven't lost my mind. But it's a waiting game, isn't it? It's what we do. We just we watch that thing every day. We plant that seed and we, we just watch it. And right now we have a lot of people with gardens. And, and we're watching and we're waiting. When, is it, when are we going to be able to... To, to reap when we ever to get the harvest from this. Now, how do you apply this? This idea that Christ is there waiting. He's, he's got the sickle in His hand and He's waiting to return. Waiting for a word from God to, to go and, and reap this harvest. The, the way to apply this is, is to ask the question, are we ready? Are we ready for Christ to come back at any point? At any point. Are you ready? Are you in Christ? Is there evidence that you are in Christ? Is there evidence there? Can people see? People know, yes, he is a believer. There's evidence of that. And then, can we sing like we've sung this song before? Even so, come. Are we ready to the point, say, Lord, please come. I beg you to come. We're anticipating. We're waiting. Your church is waiting for you. And that's the heart of a believer, isn't it? We, we're anxiously awaiting, but let me tell you, it is going to be in a day of, in a day of judgment. Now, of course, the believers, the church is waiting, I believe, for the rapture, where we'll meet him halfway in the air and we'll go up to be with him, but he is going to come in judgment and man has to be ready. Are we ready? Are we ready? Look at the ripeness here in verse 15. You need to understand this, this ripeness. And another angel came out from, or came out of the temple. A temple is where God dwells. And, and obviously he has this word from God. Comes out of the temple, crying with a loud voice. He's got authority. He's got, uh, he's been delegated by God with this message. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of power and authority that he has here. Comes out of the temple, crying with a loud voice, to him who sat on the cloud. That's this, to Christ. This is the word that they've been waiting for. The word has come, sent by this angel. And he says, put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come. Because the harvest of the earth is ripe. The hour has come. This is the time that they've been waiting for. Remember Solomon. Solomon said, there's a time for everything, isn't there? There's a time to sow. And there's a time for reaping. And this is the time for reaping. We think there's always just going to be in the time of sowing. But no, there's going to be a change. The word reaping here is an interesting word. It's, um, it's dried up. It's to wither. This would be uh, when wheat would get to its point to cut it down. But 
almost overly ripe, to the point that it is just too hard. It's ready to be cut down and just thrown into the furnace, thrown into a fire, easily burnt at this time. Now, there's a picture of this in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5, and I want you to see this. This is the ripeness of, of sinful flesh in, in, a, in the sense that it is dry. Now, there's some imagery going on here, and I want you to see this. I, I think I have some of this on the in Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And this is Proverbs. So Solomon is communicating to his son, stay away from this prostitute, stay away from this wayward woman, because here's what's going to happen. If you uh, keep away far from her and do not go near her door, uh, the door of her house, or or you will give your vigor, that's your, your life, your vigor to another and your years to the cruel one. That's talking about Satan himself. You're going to give your years to that. You're going to be wasting your life. And strangers and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of the, of the alien and you groan in your final end. When your flesh and your body are consumed, that's dried up. There's just no more life to be had there. No more life. You've sinned to the point your body's just consumed. Sin consumes us, folks. And you say to yourself, how I hated instruction. And my heart spurned reproof. And I have not listened to the voice of my teachers and inclined my ear to the instructor. And sin just had its way. And I did all that I wanted to do. All the sinning that I wanted to do. And now my life is consumed. And I hate it. And sin does that. Sin dries us up. And I believe this is talking about um, here. It's talking about individually as well as, uh, as, well as corporately. As, as well as uh, the earth. But that's just what sin does. It consumes us. It consumes our body. Sin... Uh, wears us out and dries us up or dries up our flesh. Satan deceives and drains our energy. The world consumes our focus and in time runs out and God is ignored and His glory is lost and diminished. That's what happens. Dried up. Ready for, ready for God's wrath. Ready for God to just move in in judgment. A couple of years ago, I had a, a tree in my front yard. It just died. It was a beautiful tree. It was full of life and the sun from every direction. The shape was perfect. And it just dried up. I have no idea why. Couldn't figure out why. Never, never did find out why. And we gave it several seasons. Maybe it would come back. Maybe life would come back in that tree, but it never did. And when I cut it down, and I cut down trees before, but I cut this down and it was close to uh, our pavement. And it hit, it hit the pavement, hit that concrete, and just shattered into a million pieces. Because it was so dry. I, I, it was hard to even know that it was that dead, that dry, but it was dead. It was past time for, for reaping. And here's what we think. We think so often that we can avoid, we can avoid the effects of sin. But let me tell you folks, sin will dry you up. It will have its way with you. It will drain you of resource. It will, it will drain you of, of anything that you might be able to give to God. 
We think so often, we think, oh, I'm smarter than that. I'm smarter than the other guy. I can, I can avoid these things. And listen, sin, sin will have its way. If we do not what God told Cain, you must master it. It's a struggle to struggle, but we have to master it. We have to get it under control, the sin in our own life, or it will eat us up. It will consume us. It will dry us up. And that's the picture of the world. It just comes to the place, not just individually, but the whole corporate, the world is just so spiritually dry, just dead, just dead. And it's time. It's time to reap. Let's look at the reaping here in verse 16. It's very simple. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Very simple. But it's very gruesome. I mean, this is a horrible picture. This is mass casualty. This is death. This is the, the soul being ripped apart, or ripped away from the body. A separation there. This is, this is tragic. This is a, a sobering thing. But folks, this is the most holy thing that can be done at this point. God is a holy and righteous God and, and He does things in the right timing. This is very simple. No fanfare. God just, God just swings or Christ just swings His sickle and what we see is the raw anger of God slicing through. And he's, He does this detached. Detached. Now, there's no grace, no mercy here. I remember the first time, when I was growing up, we, we only had the short sickle, the one-handed sickle. Early on, this is probably before my wife and I were married, we went up to the old country farm, old family farm, and there was several acres that we had to cut down with, and we had a sigh. You know, we didn't have a lot of electricity up there. Well, there's no electricity up there. We had a sickle, and, and it was one of those long-handed ones, and I used that for the first time. And man, you... you you, it, it just perfectly fit my hands, where my hands should go. And, and you sink that in there and you just swing that thing out and it just cuts a huge swath. It's amazing how much work you can get done. And we worked hard. But you know, I, I was not concerned about the high grass that I was cutting. There was no grace there. To me, it was a job. I was sore afterwards. It was a job. I had authority to do this and I was doing it. I was cold and calculating concerning uh, the grass. I didn't really care about the grass. And folks, that's the picture here. God is cold and calculating. This is cold, calculating judgment, divine judgment. And it's swift punishment. Swift punishment. say, how can God be so cruel? He has warned and warned and warned and warned. Now, in our parenting... Often we will, in our anger, we'll grab our children up and just spank our children. We spank in anger. Uh, and in, in doing that, many times we're out of control. It's not a good thing. But there is perfect control here. This isn't just a reaction from God. No, the timing is right. The timing is perfect. And He just does it with calculated uh, perfection. He just mows down man. You say, how in the world can we do that? Listen, folks, we bought into the, the lie of Satan that things are good. We are at war with God. 
The world is at war with God. And God is at war with the world. Now, we don't see it. Satan would love for us to think that, oh, God's this friendly. We can just coexist. And, and uh, you know, we're just, God is up there. He's, he sees what we're doing. He's, he's okay with it. No, he hates the sin and the sinner. He hates the sinner. He abhors the wicked, the Bible says. He hates the sinner just as much as he does the sin. He will send the sinner to hell. And he is angry. In Romans 1, we see that he is angry every day. His wrath is poured out. He is angry every day. And the problem with man is that there's no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear. And unfortunately, sometimes I believe the church has contributed to that to the world because we painted to the world this God who is just loving marshmallow. And we don't paint the picture of the grim reaper here. And folks, this is part of our this is part of our message. He will send the sinner to hell, not just the sin. He will send the sinner to hell because this sinner is in rebellion against him. He, they may not know it, but they're in rebellion against him. And we tend then to soften our message. That's a little harsh for the unsaved to, to think and, and to consider. So we soften our, our message. But listen, folks, when God saves us, he saves us from himself, his own wrath, his own Judgment. And we say we, we want to present the good news of the gospel, but we have to also present the bad news. The bad news of a judgment that is coming. There is a heaven to be gained, but there's also a, a hell to be shunned. And we, te- we teach people about the love of God. And, and you know, God is a loving God. I mean, there is a sense in which He, he allows us to, to live in His universe. We eat His food. We drink in His oxygen. We are somewhat in a, a wonderful environment here. But He is a God to be feared. We should be afraid of this God. We see these pictures and we should, we should shrink in terror, really. God does not just love me the way I am. Let me tell you, there is a condition on God's love. We like to paint this picture of this unconditional love of God. Now, there is an unconditional love. But let me, we, we paint this picture to the world. We, we paint this picture, this unconditional love to the world. But there is a condition, and that is belief in His Son. And that is a command. We are commanded to believe and trust and put our faith in. We're commanded to follow Him, to love Him, obey Him. That's a command. And man is constantly rejecting that command and is under God's wrath. So there's, there's, he is ignoring this command. And there is no, there is a condition on God's love. And that is belief in His Son. Now, when you believe in His Son, He has unconditional love for His Son and for all of those in His Son. That's the unconditional love part right there. But that does not go out of, into the world, folks. There's no guarantee. If they do not believe and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are under His judgment. And that's a fearful thing. We see that here. We are enemies the world is enemies to God. He hates the world. He abhors the wicked. 
And let me tell you, He will mow you down. And He will not even bat an eye. This is an amazing picture here. There's a heaven to be gained, but there's a hell to be shunned. That's a hard message for us to sell to the world. It's hard. We want to be pleasant. We want to be nice. We want to be liked. But we have to tell the world the truth. John is not just painting this picture for our own benefit. This is this affects us. We have to keep this in mind going into the future. Let's move on quickly. Look at the that's the grain harvest. Look at the grape harvest in verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple again where God dwells. This angel comes out obviously with another message which is in heaven. Now this is the counterpart of the temple that's on earth. And so it's in heaven. And he also had a sharp sickle. So he was ready. He'd have this command from God. He was ready. In verse 18, then another angel, the one who has power over fire. And that's an interesting statement. So you have this other angel, the one with the sickle, and then you have this other angel, and he is the, has the one with the power of over fire, and he comes out from the altar. Obviously, that's his place of ministry, the, the altar here. And he comes out. And he calls out from with a loud voice to him who has the sharp sickle, this angel who is waiting. He has this sharp sickle. He obviously has his, his message from the Lord. He is going down and he is going to carry out his duties. But he has this, um, this other angel call to him. And he says, put in the sharp sickle and, cluster, and, and gather the cluster from the vine of the earth. Because her... That's the earth. Her grapes are ripe. That's an interesting scene here. This this um, angel is ministering there at the the altar. Now this altar is probably the one, the same one's mentioned in chapter eight. If you turn over there, chapter eight, and verse three, Revelation says, and another angel stood at the altar, same altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it, add to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar. What's happening there, and this is a picture of the uh, Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would very much be aware of this. Uh, every day, twice a day, the, uh, the priest would go to this particular altar and he would offer up incense. And it would be a constant, it would represent a constant praying a constant going before the Lord in prayer. And, and this is this is what it's representing here. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before the Lord. These prayers. Now these are probably imprecatory prayers. Lord, how long will you allow us to suffer? How long? When are you going to come? When are you going to reap vengeance upon your enemies here? And that's the idea. So this angel, he has his marching orders from the Lord go down and use this sickle. He obviously has his sickle in his hand. And then this other angel, the prayers of the saints, come to this angel and say, and says to him, essentially, go get him. Thrust in your sickle. Reap. And what's happening here is it's time for the prayers of the saints to be answered. The prayers of God's saints to be answered. That's interesting because we're seeing an interesting thing happening here, how prayer works. God has commanded, God is doing this, but at the same time, the prayers of the saints 
God will answer God will answer his prayers. It all comes from God. It's from the the angels are carrying it out. And maybe we pray, but the source is ultimately God. The source is God. He's already given the command. But that command is infused, you might say, with prayer. The prayers of the saints. Does God consider that? Does God take that into, into account? I think so. I think so. He is answering the prayer. The only, the only thing that I can compare that to and try to illustrate this is, is a turbo on a car. I know, it's a bad illustration, but just hang with me. Growing up, you'd see Batman, you know, and all Batman had to do is push this little button. And man, he had turbo speed and he could go really, really fast, you know. Or maybe light speed when Star Wars came along and you can just push the button and you're at the other end of the galaxy. There's a turbo speed here. And so God has this command. He has this, uh, this command to this angel, but then it's infused. It's infused with the prayers of the saints. They are, they're lining up completely with God's will at that time and that's, this is just carried out. I don't know exactly how it works. But here's what I see, that prayer works. That God answers prayer. He does it in His timing, but He answers prayer. And the thing is, is the, the application for us is we must what? We must pray. God has commanded us. God has called us to pray. We must pray for each other. We must pray for our church. We must pray for our community. We must pray, Thy will be done. We, we must pray for our children. We must pray for our responsibilities. One of the things that I do with men when we get together, I, I pray for their responsibility. I pray that the Lord would bless them to carry out their responsibilities to the glory of God. Folks, prayer is so important. It's so important. You know, we, we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And we, we spend a lot of time in the Word, which is a good thing. But you know what? If the only thing we did on Wednesday nights was pray as a, an assembly, we come together on Wednesday nights, and the only thing we did was pray, it would be completely worth it. Can you imagine what God would accomplish? What God would accomplish with the prayers of His saints infused into what He's already wanting to do? We must pray and we have the privilege of doing, being a part of what God is doing through prayer. Look at the ripeness here in verse 18, the middle of verse 18. And he says, um, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. This is cluster of grapes. This is a little bit different scenario. You have grapes, so they have to take that sickle and, and cut that, and they throw that into the, uh, the wine press, this big vat that they would have there where the grapes then are crushed, and that juice, that red juice uh, from the grapes would flow into these, these um, troughs. They would be probably stone troughs that they would have. And it is time. This is, they're ripe again. Now this is a different word for ripe. For her grapes are, are ripe. This is, the word that's used here is full. 
It's a different word than the other. It's not dried up, but it's, it's fully ripe. It's in its prime. It's, it's in its ripeness. And this ripeness essentially is the ripeness of man's sin. Man's sin has just come to a fever pitch. It can't get any more worse, if you want to look at it, than this. And God says it's, it's full. It's full. But I want you to notice that these, and these, are, these are sinners and their sin has come to their fullness, their ripeness. But they're vines of the earth. Now that's an interesting phrase. They're not vines of God. What makes them vines of God is faith, right? That connection to God through Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ, you're connected to God. They're not vines of God at all. They're vines of the earth. And it ties back to this phrase that we've been using, these earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. They're they're just about here on the earth. They have no part with God. Now, and they're they're ripe. They're they're in their prime. Now that's what you look for when you're when you're wanting to pick out fruit, right? Yesterday we went into Walmart and they had this whole big uh, you know ten feet of watermelon sitting right there, tempting you. And so you go through. And you know how do you pick out a watermelon? Well, you look at the colors. You, you look. At, you know, somebody say, well, you look at the yellow at the bottom, you, you thump on it, you, you kind of... You know, how do you know? You don't know. It, it's kind of hard. It's kind of this guessing game. You, you do all that you can do, and man, this is going to be great, and then you get home and it's bad. Listen, God knows. God knows when is ripe. God knows r- the right time. One commentary said this. It's This is a picture of the earth's wickedness, or the worst wicked, unregenerate people as bursting with fruits of, of wickedness. That's a terrible picture in it. Man is just in his prime, you might say. Man is, is puffed up by Satan. He is enamored by the world. He is full of his sinful self. And he will be cut down in the prime of life. With all the earth can muster up. They come against God in this, in this battle. They come against God and man cannot stand in the day of judgment. Cannot. Cannot. Man cannot stand. Man cannot stand. That's just a general principle, isn't it? We, we know that. You cannot stand before God when you're full of yourself. There's an emptying of self. There's an emptying of self. There's a, a poor in spirit, Christ said. An emptying of one's self. You cannot stand before God in your, in your pride, in your fullness. And we realize many times in our fullness, even in our fullness, we realize that we are nothing. We are nothing. And it's good to realize that now. These people are going before the God of the universe and they're in their prime and they think they're going to win. And they're realizing it too late. And the question for us is, is have you, have you humbled yourself? Have you poured yourself out? Have you, have you rejected your own self and followed Christ? Rejected the way you were going to go and followed after Christ by faith, by putting your faith and trust in Him. That's the picture of the Christian life. And they are not there. They are full of themselves. Sin is like that too, isn't it? It dries us out, but it puffs us up too. It's this phoniness. It's like most cereal today. 
I mean, you eat that stuff and you, and you just think, what's in it? 90% air. And that's, that's man. There's nothing there. It's just a bunch of air just puffed up. Puffed up. Let's look at the, the reaping here. In verse 19 and 20. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth. Again, they're tied to the earth. It's all about the earth. No faith in God. And they're thrown into this great vine, wine press of the wrath of God. Thrown in there. Thrown in there. And it says, here's what happens. And blood came out. From the, from the wine press, up to the horse's bridle, with a distance of about 200 miles. That's gruesome. That's a terrible picture to look at. That's a, that's a bloodbath. That's not a battle. That's a bloodbath. That's just a, a consumption of a human flesh. But I think that's what they want us to know. And if there's a bit of hyperbole here. It wants us to see this is an extreme case. How do you even compare this to anything else? It's a little bit of hyperbole here. The blood, maybe even splash, splatter all over this battlefield. They say when you compare this, actually in chapter 16, toward the end of chapter 16, we'll see this battle of Armageddon when millions of millions of people come into this valley to fight against God and they're just wiped down, clean cut, you might say. This is a slaughter in battle. And the, the blood just flows down. Millions of people are destroyed. Let me show you one, one verse kind of puts this in perspective. Proverbs chapter 12, Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I want you to see how God is at this time. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising a vain thing? They have these plans. This vain plan. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take their counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. That's the very time that we're talking about in the future. He says, let us, and they say, let us tear their fetters, fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want to be tied to this man. We will not have this man rule over us and they will come up against they will come up against Christ. Verse 4, look at this. And he who sat in heaven laughs. These nations are a drop in the bucket to him. They are nothing to him. He can mow them down with one quick swing. And the Lord scoffs at them. Then he said, who, who speaks to them in his anger the terror and terrifies them in fury. That's God. They will come against God. And this will be in this battle of Armageddon. We'll look at that at some point. But that is no match. That is no match for God. There's one little phrase that we need to understand though in verse 20. And the wine press was trodden outside the city. That's interesting. Christ is going to reign from Jerusalem and He does not want His city to be contaminated. And so, it, this battlefield, uh, they say this um, 
um, is close to the mountain of Megiddo. And this battlefield will be about 60 miles north of Jerusalem. And people will flood into that little valley. And millions will be killed. In fact, they said it could be that 200 miles could stretch the whole length of Israel. The nation of Israel. This is a graphic picture. These people are learning firsthand of God's wrath. What God can do. And folks, any time. Any time that that man sins, any time that man takes it upon himself to go contrary to the way God has instructed us to live, he is he is independent of him of God, and he is in rebellion against God, and he should be afraid. We should all be afraid. This is a God who can snuff out our life in in a moment, in a moment. This is God. He is to be feared. Let's try to apply this a little bit. Folks, this is part of our message. This is part of our message. This is a hard thing for us to to handle even ourselves, to see that we can serve such a gruesome God. But it's part of the message that we have for the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We have to let this image sink into our, this picture sink into our mind. And, and we, and it motivates us to persuade people. Hebrews chapter 10 is a terrible thing to fall into the hands. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, even in our worship, our reverence and, and awe because He is a consuming fire. He is a God to be feared, folks. You say, well, that sounds too much like hell fire and brimstone preaching. And nobody likes that. It just turns people off. So what does we do? We just swing the pendulum way the other way. Oh, God is loving. You don't need to fear Him. Now listen, folks. It's both together, isn't it? I, I know... I know nobody wants to hear this kind of harsh message. Gloom and doom. And we could say it in a loving way. But the reality is, is we are under God's judgment. Unless we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We can, like I said, we can say it in a loving way. But this has to be part, this has to be part of our message. We have a fire alarm uh, at our house. And some smart person thought it would be a great idea to put the fire alarm right above the stove. Right in the kitchen, just right above the stove. It's just a little bit to the left. It's on the ceiling. We hate that thing. And uh, Ruthie fixes pizza every time she just opens the door to check the pizza. We have to go and wave the fire alarm. Because we've got to blow that thing because it just it's loud and it's obnoxious. And we hate the thing. And Ruthie said, can't you just get rid of that thing? Oh, yeah, man, just take a broom, man, and just whack that thing. That's what I want to do, right? But we keep that thing. Why? Because we need it, don't we? If there's a real fire, we want that alarm, this annoying alarm. Listen, folks, we are the alarm for the world. They, they're going to hate us. We're annoying, but we have the truth. And we have to come before the, the world and say, look, there's danger. There's danger. Listen to us. Listen to our message. Now look, I said we can do it in a loving way. But you know what? We're not the only ones doing this. You read in John chapter 16, 
One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that He's going to do is convict the world of sin and what? Judgment. He's doing the same thing. In their heart of hearts, they know that we're right. And we come before them and we sound the alarm. Folks, this this message has has been hard on me because I've been too soft. It's too easy to present a God of love, a God of unconditional love that just all just come to Him. But the reality is there's a hell to be shunned and He will mow us down. Guys, when you're cutting grass, you see something, oh yeah, I can just cut right over that, right? We don't want to get off this mower. We don't want to stop pushing and have to let go and then have to get in front of it and get it. Maybe just mow it down. We don't really care what we're, we're mowing sometimes. That's God, folks. When the time comes, He will, he will slaughter mankind. He will do that. And we know that now. He gives us that information now. And it's a hard message for the world. But in the long run, they have to be warned. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, we thank You for even this gruesome picture, this harsh picture. I pray, Lord, that You would allow us to, to see it in its, its vividness, and the redness of the blood, the sharpness of the sickle, the death, the carnage. And Lord, allow that to motivate us and allow that to, that to fear You in the proper sense and let that motivate us Motivate us to persuade men, persuade a sinful world that's in rebellion against you. Help us to communicate a message that's good news, but they have to hear the bad news as well. Lord, help us to have that right balance. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.